0: Welcome to another episode of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at William Branham.org. And with me, I have my very special guest, Leslie Wells, former member of The Message. Leslie, it's so good to see you in person. This is the first time we've actually seen each other. We've talked over the phone a few times, but we have spoken through the internet (laughs) in all of the various comments that you've left for I don't know how long. It's been several months and it's good to see your face and I'm glad that you decided to do this and tell other people about the message.
1: Thanks, John. I'm I'm really excited to be here. I absolutely love your channel, and I feel like I know so much more about the message because of your channel than I ever did when I was in it.
0: It's so funny. I know more about the things that we were supposed to know after leaving than I did while I was in it. And you, you think you're so heavenly and so devout while you're in it because you listen to these recordings and these sermons, and I... I had the entire collection growing up, so I listened to all the sermons, but there's this weird thing where when you're in it and you're being manipulated, your mind is being manipulated, you listen to it, but you really don't think about what it is you're hearing. And then after you leave, you're like, oh my gosh, what in the world was I in?
1: Exactly. I know. It's just the manipulation. And and I think, Part of the reason it's so hard to know exactly what William Branham said before it became computerized is because he contradicted himself constantly in all different sermons. There's no like one place where you can go to find everything he said about marriage or everything he said about divorce. It's like it's scattered throughout all these over a thousand sermons. So it's really hard to know everything he said. So he contradicted himself constantly and we didn't even notice it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's it's honestly, it's like a choose your own adventure religion, <laughs> you do whatever you want. You can you can almost find something where he's going to say, yes, go believe this or do this. And it'll be the polar opposite than what he said the last time. Um, I
1: know. And, you know, it's it's hard to believe that I I really studied it. I mean, I listened to tapes. I read the books. I took notes, all this stuff. I really wanted to learn the message. And, um, how, I mean, there's so much in it that I've learned from you that I know is there because you've shown us the quotes. You're not just telling us it's there. And, um, how did I not know that stuff was there? But I didn't.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. So you were in the message for quite a while. Maybe if you could tell everybody the, uh, some of your background of being in it, what was it like being in the message?
1: Well, I joined the message when I was 16. I was not raised in the message. And um, I didn't leave until I was 44. And so when I joined it, I was a teenage girl. And when I left it, I um, had left my husband the year before, my ex-husband. And I had a daughter. So it was kind of like, you know, it varied a lot over the time. But I wasn't born, like I said, I joined it when I was 16. I was not raised in the message and I think that helped me a lot. I was not indoctrinated, like, from my bassinet. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> and um, so I, when I was 16, I was just a regular American teenage girl. I wore blue jeans every day that my mom let me. If we're wow. going to a funeral or a wedding or a baby shower, she did not let me. But other than that, I wore blue jeans. And I love going to movies. I love rock and roll. We watch TV all the time. We're just regular normal American family. And I had a good family. But when I was, I, I was a real mess when I was a teenager. Lots of teenage angst, like through the roof. And, you know, I had a real bad attitude towards my parents. And I didn't really talk to them about important things. And so when I was 15, I fell in love. First time. And when I was 16, he dumped me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I I just wanted to die. Every night when I went to bed, I just said, I hope I don't wake up. I didn't have any plans on so killing myself. I wanted somebody else to do that, just do it in my sleep while I don't know about it. But I didn't want to wake up, but of course, you know, I was only 16, so everything was like way over-dramatized. And, um, and my best friend, since the time I was 13, was actually raised in the message. But I knew she had a strange religion, but I didn't know much about it. But then, one of the things the guy who dumped me told me over and over right before he broke up with me was to read the Bible. So I was reading the Bible, and like I started reading Genesis, and started like I don't even know what this means. And and I had gone to Baptist churches, some really a really scary one, especially. Oh, but one thing I was not raised in a Christian home. I was just raised in a home where religion wasn't really important. And we never, we didn't go to church. We didn't pray. We didn't read the Bible. And we didn't have any other religion either. It was just, we were not a religious family. But anyway, um, so, I, but I had gone to some scary Baptist churches when I was a child. And so my best friend called me and she, we started talking about the Bible. And she showed me all this stuff. That I had no idea was in there. Like that women aren't supposed to wear pants. And that you're not supposed to cut your hair. And like she had the most beautiful clothes. And um, and she had long beautiful hair. Which I had long hair back then. I mean this is the 70s. And a lot of girls had long hair. My hair was long but it was trimmed. And um, so we, anyway we started talking about the Bible. She show me all these different things. I'm like how does she know all this stuff? You know, and then um, the thing that it's so funny, what really hooked me was that um, she showed me in the Bible where the Magi did not go to the manger with the, the newborn Jesus. They went to the house to the young child. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is Wow, nobody in the whole wide world has ever knows this. Like, I was so convinced of that. I was so naive. It's crazy. Of course I was. I was 16. But anyway, I thought, you know, every painting shows the magi with the shepherds at the manger. Yeah. Every time people put a manger scene in their yard you know they've got the three kings and the magi or whatever you want to call them in their yard every song like we three kings you know i'm like this guy is the only person in the whole world who has ever known that the bible says this i must follow this man (laughs) and that was the reason Wow. So as soon as we got the phone, I went in my room. I got a gar, I took some garbage bags in there and I put all my sinful clothes in there. And I had about three garbage bags because all my blue jeans, all my shorts, my halter tops, my tank tops, all the t shirts I wore with my jeans, my sneakers, which I would never back then wear with a dress, which I did years later. But anyway, everything that went with wearing jeans went in the bag and I had two outfits left. Wow. In my closet.
0: <laughs> so you were literally recruited over Christmas. <laughs>
1: yes, exactly. Oh, this is a very good time for us to talk about that. Yeah, Christmas, exactly. Well, I drug the bags into the kitchen and my mom was cooking dinner. And I'm like, Mom, can we take these to Goodwill? And she's like, What's in there? And I told her, You know, all my clothes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> she's like, What? No, we're not. Oh, I'm like, well, I'm never going to wear them again, and so she's like, oh, you know, what am I going to do? With this daughter of mine, <laughs> and so put them in the bottom of your closet because she was positive it was a phase, yeah. and they thought I would never stick with want to be in a group like this because it's totally different than how I normally lived and how I love to live, but she knew my best friend was in it, and she just thought it was phase. <laughs> anyway, my friend was, you know, my best friend that I just wanted to do what she was doing. And now we joke about the 28-year-long phase that I was in, you know. (laughs) But, yeah. Yeah,
0: that's quite a phase.
1: Yeah, exactly. Kind of a long phase.
0: (laughs) And being in it that long, you have seen things that – there are a lot of people who joined and they, you know, they were in it five years or whatever. But somebody who's in it for that long, you – We're in it long enough to watch it morph and change. I'm interested to know how different it was when you joined as to when you left.
1: Well, I was in three different churches during that 28-year time. One of The one up in Georgia, I was in probably only, I don't know, maybe five years. And that church was one way. It was not very strict. In fact, we used to go to the movies and do things like that. (laughs) <laughs> with other people in the church. And there were a lot of things that were okay in that church that when we moved to Florida, we found out very quickly were not okay.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: And so that church was strict. And I actually really liked the second church a lot better. There there were different things about the first church I didn't like at all. The more I was there. And then um, that was up in Georgia. Then we moved to Florida. and But then my ex- started his own church he felt he was called to preach and he had his own church for 10 years and it never got big or anything and then um that kind of I don't know fizzled out I guess you could say and then we went back to the first church we were at in Florida and I stayed there and I think one of the things that changed about it is like you, you answered a question. I don't know if I was the only one that asked it, but about the prison camps that they were going to build for us in Alaska. Well, people were talking more about things like that when I first joined. And by the time I was, I didn't, I hadn't heard anybody talk about any prison camps I was going to end up in for a long time. <laughs> and, you know, like you too, like it was constantly about the world council of churches and stuff like that. And just, it, it had, kind of shifted focus to a degree but um i guess i didn't really understand that was because of time passing i thought it was just because we were in you know like one church kind of was emphasizing Mm. one group of things and one was another emphasizing another group of things but um yeah that's a big difference they were less um i don't know i I don't know it was And, like, people have asked me, well, what about 1977? I mean, you joined in 78. Well, nobody was talking about 77 and 78, (laughs) (laughs) as you can imagine. And I don't even know when I found out about 77, but it was not in 1978. I have no idea, really, when I found out. But I just... I bought the party line that it wasn't a prophecy. It was a prediction and all this other stuff. And, you know, just like every other good little cult member, I didn't let it bother me. Yeah.
0: So for our listeners who were never in this thing and, (laughs) <laughs> and what what does 1977 mean, right? <clears throat> the uh, It is the most notable of the many failed doomsday prophecies of William Branham. 1977 was supposed to be the year when he allegedly could see nothing in the visions past that date and he learned by divine revelation he said <laughs> 1977 is the year well leading up to it they had all these pamphlets that they'd pass out with 1977 and there were entire church communities that move from one state to another to escape the big destruction that was coming yeah it's it's pretty weird stuff <clears throat> but so 1977 was the was the doomsday but the prison camps that's for me it's still fascinating because there are still churches today that that teach that <clears throat> remember this whole thing started on the heels of the world wars and there there was this impending this fear of impending doom that there would be another world war and the threat was obviously during Branham's time was Russia so the quote unquote prophecy which is only partially on on recording was that the Russians would storm the shores of the United States and ravage the women. And I grew up hearing this. I I grew up in churches that taught it. But, you know, there's only so much you can focus on that level of horrific before people (laughs) just get tired of the horrific. And so there are churches that have gone away from it, and they don't. You know, they won't talk about it anymore. There are still some that the people are still under that level of bondage and they do talk about it, which is really sad. But it's so different when you leave that and you go into a regular church and they're actually talking about Jesus. They're not talking about Russians rape, raping the women.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I agree completely. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't know until I heard you say it and show us on the tapes. On the quotes that William Branham had many other uh, prophecies, predictions, whatever you want to call them, about the end of the world. I had no idea. I thought 77 was the only one. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's really odd. As I'm digging in deeper into the British-Israel doctrines. It appears that this was a th- this was a thing. People were predicting <laughs> by measuring the pyramid, which is of all things, it's just unbelievable. But <clears I know. clears throat> the, the the pyramid dates show us, brothers and sisters, that the world is gonna the world is gonna end and everyone around you is gonna die by this next year. And then when that didn't happen, they moved the date forward, and it became such a progression of of failed predictions and moving the date that. These men just really didn't care. They could throw a date out, and it didn't matter if it stuck or not.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, very few people leave over failed prophecies. That's even been proven scientifically, that they can say a prophecy, and then it doesn't happen, and then people just come up with a reason why their church is still true and their prophet still true, which is totally contradictory to Deuteronomy 18. So. Right. I don't know.
0: Yeah. It's scientifically, I can assure you that the world did not end in 1977. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious to know more about what it was like for you. What was life like in the message? What were, what were some experiences that you feel are most memorable, good or bad?
1: When I, okay, I was 16 when I joined. So I was in high school and it was the summer before my 12th grade in high school. And, um, I, before I heard of William Branham and what he said about higher education, my plan was to go to college and I had really good grades. I graduated with honors and I know I could have gotten some scholarships and that was my plan, you know, go to college. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to do a double major, one in German Cause we had German at our high school and I absolutely loved it. It was like one of my favorite classes and one in 20th century European history. And I wanted to become a professor, teach German or, but I also, and teach, you know, about that subject, but I was really fascinated about by World War II. I mean, I still kind of am in Hitler and I wanted to eventually go to Germany and write like the ultimate book about Hitler. That was my ambition when I was in high school. And I believe I could do, I believe I was capable of doing that, you know, with my grades and everything. I don't think it was like too hard or anything. So then I found out that William Branham said, higher education is of the devil. And so I never once, I never looked at any colleges. I never applied. I never tried to get any school. I just said, I'm not going to college. I told my mom and dad I'm not going to college and they accepted it. I mean, they didn't try to, they wanted me to go, but they didn't try to force me into doing something I absolutely didn't want to do. And like one thing I did since my parents were in the message is I didn't tell them a lot of the reasons why I did the stuff I did. And I never told them it was because of my church because I was really kind of afraid that if they knew the full extent that the church was affecting my life, they might try to make me stop going. You see, they didn't know I was in a cult. They thought I was just in this really super strict Christian church that I was going to get totally sick of and quit. And they were... And they I think they thought that if they tried to force me out of it, that there's a very good chance... I probably would have run away and seen if the pastor would let me live with his family or my best friend. Because I was totally... I was, like, 200% in the message. And so... That happened, so I never went to college. I never did those things. And I'm really sad about that still to this day. But one, the other teaching, and then I found out that William Branham, in in between saying that higher education is bad, and in between saying that he said at some point that the DDS that's on the end of the, um, or DD or whatever it is, DD at the end of somebody like Doctor of Divinity, Somewhere he said that stood for dead dog. And um, in between saying that, he said he wishes he could have gone to seminary yeah. and that he was talking about sending Billy Paul, I don't know if he ever did, to Bob Jones University, which I learned that from you. But there was another teaching that affected me even worse. So after I started, um, after I joined the message, I started dating a guy who wasn't a believer, but I didn't know that wasn't good. <laughs> I, I mean, I knew it a little, but, you know, it takes a long time to learn what's okay and what's not okay. So I was dating this guy, and three months after I started dating him, we got engaged. And, you know, I thought I loved him. I probably did love him, but he was very disrespectful. Like, he'd show up for our dates an hour and a half late. And just, I don't know, he, I don't know. Anyway, but he asked me to marry him at a red light, and I said yes before it turned green. (laughs) So then I was sitting in church one day, and the pastor started preaching about engagement. And he said, he showed all the reasons why William Bramham talked about how the Virgin Mary was called Joseph's wife, even though they were just engaged, they weren't married yet. And how the things in the Old Testament, you know, pointed to that. And he said, he read the quotes by William Branham that if you are engaged and you um, break that engagement and marry another person, you are committing adultery. So I was sitting there in church listening to that. I felt like a dungeon came out of the ceiling and lowered itself down around me. And I realized at that point, I have two options in this life, be alone for the rest of my life, never have kids, never have a family, live like a kind of like a nun (laughs) or marry the guy I'm engaged to, no matter what he does, no matter how he treats me. And in my total lack of wisdom of somebody who is about 17 and one thirds year old, I picked the marriage. And after that, no matter what happened, I never considered breaking up with him because I knew that if I did break up with him, I would never be able to marry again. And I just thought that sounded terrible. I didn't want to do that. That's not what I wanted. So then later, finding out that Sarah Branham was engaged, and I don't know the circumstances of how that engagement ended, but she married another guy and had eight kids. So that's another big blow that those two things I feel like are the two things that affected me the most negatively about being in the message. And to find out that William Branham and his own family did not follow those two things. It's really hard not to be really angry about that. Yeah. I feel like those two things ruined my life.
0: It's so hard. It's impossible to measure how much of your life has changed and can be ruined by this thing and see I grew up on the other side of it I I was I don't know if I've ever mentioned this I actually was very close friends with Sarah Branham's first um engagement really close friends in fact um love the guy he's he was a great guy he is a great guy um really really good person he was one of my dad's best friends and um I I can remember making the long trek to Jeffersonville and the highlight for me obviously was seeing the Branham Tabernacle but we, then we'd go to his house and he had he had video games and <laughs> my he actually gave me my first video game and um it was, it was so much fun. He was such a fun guy. Um he he's still alive but he moved away, so I don't get to see him as much. But great guy. But see, I saw a different side of things because I was in a different level or a different tier. And these things I didn't know
1: what was going on all the way down in Georgia.
0: Yeah, I mean these things there's like a pyramid scheme, right? The cult leader at the top and then everybody else is below and underneath. Well, I was somewhere in the middle and um <clears throat> I Uh, had a college education which is higher level it was frowned upon but it wasn't like um you know especially in the elite it wasn't so much forbidden interestingly because my, my grandfather was the head pastor he spoke very strongly against higher education until one of one of the uh, brethren married his daughter my aunt and he was a very very smart intelligent man with a very high education and then suddenly it's okay for everybody <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. exactly exactly i know what you mean and and so like you were saying like well so uh, we got married and it was a very bad marriage. And it lasted for 22 years. It was abusive. In my opinion, it was abusive. And in my opinion, he felt the license to abuse me, treat me terrible based on William Branham's teachings. And I'm not saying William Branham endorsed everything he did to me i'm not saying that because i know he didn't but what i am saying is that when william branham preaches the terrible things about women that he preaches then guys who choose to i'm no i know there's a lot of good guys in the message don't cheat their wives bad but guys who choose to they take that and they run with it and you know i mean if i like he was. Just for one very minor example, compared to the stuff that happened, the really terrible stuff that happened, if I said something he didn't like, then he would say, he would say something like, You're wrong. And how come you're wrong? And he would follow, he said, You're deceived. Why are you deceived? And he would follow, literally follow me around the house saying, Why are you deceived? Why are you deceived? I mean, until I said the words, I'm deceived because women are 100%, a thousand percent more easily deceived because we're not part of the original creation. Wow. And then he would go and leave me And that is just a very tiny example. That is like minor compared to a lot of the other stuff that happened. But yeah. it just shows that William Branham's teachings seep in the, like, kind of like the consciousness Like, women are bad. Women are deceived. They're not part of the original creation. They're lower than a hog or a dog. You know, and it's just sickening.
0: It really is sickening. And, you know, I've had people send me comments and emails and whatnot saying, William Branham never told us, never told these people to do that. They did that on their own. But when you have a person who has made a stage persona of, Insulting and making people laugh at the insult like he'll call women dog meat and then you can hear in the background all these women just all these men laughing you don't hear a single woman not laughing obviously but he's saying these insulting things that are horrific even you know to back then or today it was horrific insulting things for the purpose of entertainment religious entertainment. But then what happens is when you take a person who has some sort of a mental health issue or personality disorder, who has a tendency to do the wrong things, well, then they can abuse those same things because it's part of the religious doctrine. And so then the question has to go back. Well, did William Brenham really cause it? Because he's the one who started the insulting thing. He laid the framework for this. <clears throat> and if you're in a, a normal Christian church, as, as I'm <laughs> experienced after leaving, they even have support groups for people who have troubles. There are men's groups you can join. There, there are ways to help people improve. Whereas in the cult, there is no mechanism to help a person improve. And worse than that, there's no checks and balances to make sure that the there aren't people who can do this to
1: women. Right. Exactly. And well, when I was 20, I tried to leave and I went to my pastor and I'm going to say his name because he has passed away. His name was Dwight Wallace and he, his so-called help was worse than no help at all. And one of the things he said was that I was causing a reproach upon the church by leaving my husband. He did not say my husband was causing a reproach on the church by abusing his wife. He said I caused the reproach. Two weeks later, I was back with him. I had no support at all. And when I did try to tell him more detail about the bad things that were going on, he made it really clear he didn't want to hear it. So, and I was very young. I was not at all assertive. And so when he made it really clear, I mean, I regret that. I wish I could have just barreled on and said, no, you have to hear this. But I didn't. I was young and I was very like passive kind of. I mean, and the the message teaches you to be that way when you're a woman too. And then, so that was a terrible experience. And then when I was 43, so all those years later, I left again. And that I, that was the only two times I left. And the second time I left, it was for good. I never went back. I never even considered going back. And when I told the pastor in Florida, which I will say his name too because he passed away, his name is John Steeman. And the first words out of his mouth is, you don't have to live that way. And I was, I was like, wow. You know, I really believe. That he's a good, he was a good man. And there were some real good people in that church down here. But so it was, they offered me financial support and everything, you know, but it was definitely with the understanding that I could never marry anybody else. But it's kind of like, okay, you know, you drank the strychnine, dear. And make sure you don't try to drink any cyanide, (laughs) you know, as soon as you get out of the hospital from the strychnine. I wasn't worried about whether or not I could marry anybody. I just wanted to make all the bad stuff stop. But then I got, the more we talked and the more they talked to me, I got incredibly angry at them, even though they were supporting me because they were telling me all kinds of stuff that had never once been preached over the pulpit. So these things that they were telling me in private, they don't tell a woman unless you come to them and you say, my husband's doing this, 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 you know, I can't take it anymore. Then they're all 100% supporting you. And I will say this for them. They constantly preach that a man is supposed to treat his wife like a queen. They said that all the time. They were not pro men being bullies and treating their families terrible at all. But they didn't understand that, okay, you can preach that, but if the husband doesn't choose to do that, where does that leave the wife? They never told you, like, and if your husband doesn't do that, then this is, they never just, they just act like that was never going to happen. So they were telling me that I could lead, just all this different stuff. And so finally I asked them, how come you guys never preach this? You know, because... Some, I don't know if William Branham said this, but somewhere along the line I learned that if you have a problem, you can just pray and God will inspire the preacher to talk about that thing. And like I prayed, I prayed every time I went to church, God, please inspire whoever's going to preach to talk about what I need to hear because I don't know what to do. I can't take this anymore. And so um it never happened. So then... They So I asked them, how come you guys never preach this? And they're like, well, the reason we don't preach it is because there's probably some women that if we did preach this who aren't being abused and aren't being treated bad, that would take that and go ahead and leave their husbands because we said it. So we can't say it to the whole church. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know like two different times in that church, there was There was a family and then that family left and there was a second family, but, and there were others, but two of them were so blatant and it didn't even, that doesn't include my family because my ex was better about being, he was very, um, I don't know how to put it. He didn't make it obvious he was treating me bad, although some people noticed it, but these two guys, they were blatant about it. It was disgusting and everybody in the church knew these two men were abusing their kids and their wives it just went on. I don't I'm not saying they never adjusted it personally because of course if they did I wasn't there. But they never preached it. Never once. But they're so worried about women using it wrongly. But yeah, so the women are just sitting there like, well I and they would preach like once you get married, you're you can't leave, you know. They would say that because they wanted there was a lot of young people in church and they wanted the kids to know how serious engagement was. Like, see I had no idea that was even preached before i got engaged but they, they wanted these kids to know which i'm glad they did that i wish my minister would have done that but you know but you're sitting there and you've been married all that time you know it's not it was for the kids but you know it applied to everybody so that infuriated me that absolutely infuriated me
0: yeah the double standards and the lack of the lack of accountability I, you, know, you were probably the same as me, but growing up in this thing, we're taught that we're the only ones that teach that the woman should stay with the man, that there isn't any others that support what they consider to be the biblical rules for marriage and divorce, because our prophet brought the sermon, <laughs> marriage and divorce. <clears throat> but then, you know, the very one of the very first churches we visited after leaving the message They were very strict too in that they that if you're married, you should not leave your wife, and they would preach that from you know sermon to sermon. You'd you'd hear them saying, "This is what we believe," but then they would also have the other side of it. They would say, "If you are a spouse who's being abused, you do need to get away. You do not need to be abused." And
1: see, they never said that in in the message churches I was in. Yeah, they just they did tell the people don't. Don't treat your wives like a doormat. Don't do that. Treat hmm. her like a queen. Because I know somewhere William Branham did say that to treat your wife like a queen. And they always went back to that quote and they read it to people and they thought they, they addressed the problem. But, you know, there's nobody there in the home when no, nobody else is around forcing the husband to treat his wife good. If he chooses not to treat his wife good, then he doesn't. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it
0: and that's one of the things that they don't tell you whenever you're recruited into this thing. My grandfather was the pastor of the head church, as you know, and I have when I was in it, I knew this, and then I've met other people that this happened through my grandfather after leaving, but there were women who were physically abused by their husbands in the church, and my grandfather supported the abuser and said that the woman should be submissive, but when you hear his sermons, when he's you know, he's preaching Sunday school or whatever, he would say the same thing. The woman woman is your queen, treat her like a queen. And she'll if you treat her well, she'll do good for you, something something to that effect. So when you hear the public version of it, you're thinking, Oh, he's he supports the woman, right? But then whenever there's a situation of abuse, he's not. And I have very close friends whose father just brutally beat the wife, and my grandfather supported the abuser, and he's not the only one that this has happened with. I, I do know others that it's happened, and the problem for me, you know, any church that you have, you're going to have problems. I don't care what it is, but there's also a means to correct the problem, and there's also a system of checks and balances where if you know this is happening, get the woman some help get the man some help because the man shouldn't be doing this. And the, the, in the message cult, they try to just cover it up, sweep it under the rug. And in doing so, they're enabling the the predators.
1: Definitely. They definitely enable the predators. There's no bad consequences to the predator. He can do whatever he wants, and he's not going to suffer any negative consequences for his actions. And yeah. my ex left the message about five years before I left him. He got his feelings hurt one day, and all of a sudden, it was okay to drink beer, smoke cigars, and he's sitting there with a beer in one hand and a cigar in another, quoting William Branham at me. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So, it's pretty bad when you're married to somebody who drinks and smokes, but also has the whole message practically memorized and can beat you over the head with it, just like he used to when he was in the message. So, that happened, but finally, I left, and a big, the biggest reason I left him was because there's no way I was going to... We we had a problem with infertility. And we were married 12 years before we had a baby. And we finally had a baby. And by the time she was three, I knew there was no way I was going to raise my daughter in this toxic home. I mean, I let myself live in it. I probably would have let myself live in it indefinitely. But I wasn't going to do that to my daughter. So... um I broke the cult rules because I was sitting there thinking, I'm either going to call a divorce attorney or a marriage counselor. Which one should I call? Which one should I call? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, I guess if I'm going to do that, because if both of them felt wrong and I thought, well, I guess if I'm going to do something wrong, it should be a counselor because at least then we, maybe we could try to fix it. And I did that. I broke the rules and I started seeing a psychologist and we did marriage counseling. We ended up doing it for five whole years. And, um, yeah, it was a long time, but, um, so the counseling really helped, it like revolutionized my life. It was one of the best things I've ever done is getting to therapy. And, um, so he wasn't in it anymore, but, you know, he still had that mindset that it was okay to do the stuff he was doing to me. And so, um, I decided to leave and i think with the support of my therapist i'm pretty sure well i'm about 95% sure i would have left when i did whether brother john would have said you don't have to live that way anymore or when he said go back and be more submissive more sweet more nice more this more that and you know whether what he said that or not i'm pretty sure i would have left because i did have some support finally from my therapist so um but I, so, but I left him in 2003, and I didn't leave the message in 2004, and I had no intentions of leaving the message. I believed in the message. So I kept going to church, but then they would preach with the same, using the same verses that my ex used to beat me over the head with all the time, and I would have a panic attack in church but I didn't feel like I would just sit there. And if somebody would have looked at me, I guess they, I would have looked normal, I'm assuming. <laughs> but it was like I had a tornado inside of me of emotion. And I got to the point where I couldn't stand going to church because I kept having panic attacks all the time. And then I was thinking, is this my emotions? Is this the devil? What's going on? And then, believe it or not, I actually hallucinated in church once. It was really kind of pushing me over the edge. Yeah. And that scared me. So, um and then I finally had to admit to myself and be honest with myself, I did not believe what William Branham said about women, about marriage. I just did not believe that. I didn't believe there was any reason on the planet where I needed to submit to him. And i know the bible says that and i'm sorry but i don't believe that <laughs> and um i finally had to admit myself i don't believe 100 percent of what william brandon said yeah and that was kind of earth-shattering because you i'm sure you know where i'm going with this he said if you don't believe it 100 if you only believe it 99.99999 you're not a believer So, I was thinking about all this stuff all the time, constantly. It was this big, like, storm inside of me, trying to, like, what's you know, what's happening to me? What's going on? But I finally had to admit, I'm forcing myself to go to church even though it's torture, and I hate it, because I'm having panic attacks and even a hallucination, and I'm torturing myself every time by going. But according to Brother Branham, I'm not a believer. Because I don't believe one hundred percent of it, so then I thought, if I'm really not a believer, then I'm not going to go. Yeah, and that got me out. His words got me out. <laughs> you,
0: you know, it's so funny because he uses phrases like, "You can tell a person by the company they keep." Well, once you once you realize the company that was with him, <laughs> and, and and you bring you bring that to the, you know. Bring it to the surface, and you start looking at it, you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> was he self admitting these problems? And, and like you said, if you don't believe it 100%, that's one of the sayings in the cult. Well, how can you believe it if you're saying the polar opposite from sermon to sermon? Does he how even really, really believe 100% it
1: 100% of you know? it when 50% of it co- contradicts the other 50%? Yeah, how do you, how you do you can't. like, you have to play so many mental gymnastics and mess with your own head to try to wrap your brain around that and keep it like where you are believing it even though it makes no sense and it's totally contradictory and so many things he said weren't true never happened all the stuff he's pro you know the prophecies he even talked about like he even talked about the india trip that the prophet he said the prophecies about that failed yeah so even he admitted that his prophecies failed.
0: Yeah, what's really hard is, you know, you, what you described. Basically, it's the symptoms of PTSD. So you're you're in the church, you're having PTSD, but it's so different from whenever you go into a normal church, a non-cult church, because if you had these symptoms. You could easily approach the minister or even you know some of the lay members and say hey i'm really having trouble and they might get you some help or they might themselves try to help at minimum they're going to check up on you say hey how you doing you know call you during the week how you doing you feel better the first time i experienced this i was like in a state of shock these these people are actually pretty nice i never ever had that because people the way in which this was set up as a destructive cult. There is no framework for helping people, but worse than that, they there is a framework of fear to admit that you need help. And
1: You can admit you need help. Yeah. Because then people will think you're not saved, you're not a Christian, you don't have the Holy Ghost, maybe you're part of the foolish virgin. I mean, there's all these things they can think about you, but there's something wrong with you, you must not be part of the bride and so you don't want to let anybody know that you're having problems it's just i think a lot of people in the cult keep a lot of secrets and a lot of things going behind closed door that nobody talks about and that is really sad but you know people are going to judge you if you tell them the truth like i didn't tell the truth until i started uh, seeing a therapist that's when i started telling the truth
0: yeah and it should come as no surprise that therapists and the medication that that you can get for your mental health are of the devil. <laughs> it's <cold>. Right. <clears throat> because the moment that you start to get help, uh, many times you're going to see that the church itself is the problem. And I use the word exactly. church quoted, <laughs> the quote unquote <laughs> yeah, I mean, church. Exactly. <clears throat> you know this. It's so bad. So. I'm just. I'm glad that you got out. I'm thankful that you were able to get out and heal. And I know that the effects of being in it are long-lasting. Even for me, Uh, every day I find something that I have to. In my head is programmed, and I have to rewire it to become.
1: You know, not to
0: not to think that way because that way is wrong. (laughs) Right.
1: one of the things that's amazing to me is to find out some Bible verses that I thought were Bible verses were actually mashups of Bible verses that William Branham constructed. Yes. And I'm like, what? It's not even in the Bible? <laughs> oh, my God.
0: <laughs> but whosoever shall add to or take away from this book.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it, it's just, it, it's such a shame. It, it's I hate the way, you know... This cult just ruins lives. It just blights people's lives. Yeah. And people who are still in it think that they have the best thing in the whole wide world. And, you know, I thought I had the best thing in the whole wide world, even when I was being abused. And, um, but it wasn't like the abuse wasn't happening at church. And, I mean, actually, spiritual abuse was happening at church, but I still managed to... I way in my mind that I had, like, the best thing in the whole wide world, but the abuse was happening at home. And, like, I didn't really even connect the two that much because I knew, well, you know, they don't say that it's okay to do this stuff. So to me, it had nothing to do with each other. I didn't understand how everything was so connected. And that was a big thing. To finally understand that it all is connected. And, like, if I hadn't had gotten engaged and then found out that literally that literally, according to the church, I was already married, it's like I got married without knowing I got married.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: <Just> <laughs> crazy. I mean, just the idea of that makes no sense whatsoever, but really that's what happened to me because I was married in the eyes of God according to William Branham. So I don't believe I ever would have. I believe I would have broken up with him because I started putting up so much junk that I don't think I would have put up with. Now, I can't say 100% for sure because that scenario never played out. But why would I sit there and wait for an hour and a half for somebody to show up for a date? I don't think I would have. Why would I put up with the disrespect, the rudeness, inconsiderate, all this stuff, you know, I don't even go into, but... Why would I stay with somebody like that? Why would I agree to marry somebody like that? You know, we had only dated less than, I think, about three months when, when he asked me to marry him. And like I said, we were at a red light, and that's how much thought I put into it. I said, yes, before the light turned green.
2: That's yeah. pretty
1: sad. <laughs> that's pretty sad. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about it?
0: You know, there are very few things that make me angry. But when I think back at what it has done to the lives of people... Yes. And when somebody sends me that one comment that says, well, what if I in the cult, what if I in the cult am right and you who are not in the cult are wrong? What has it hurt? Because I uh, yeah. I simply believe in this man. And what if I'm wrong? What if I believe this man is wrong? It hasn't hurt anything. I say, no, you know, this whole framework, what happened to you? You know, there are bad people in the world, regardless of the church. But what happened to oh, yeah. you? is a result of the church. This is a thing that happened because of the church. And had the church, and I'm I'm using the word church quoted, I should not say it like that. Right, exactly. If this place had not influenced your life, you wouldn't have been in the situation. And more to the point, if it weren't for the very, very wrong doctrine, the, the doctrine that kept you with this man. Yes. Well, you know, this would have never happened, and it's—it it's, re, it was really hard for me to make that leap when I was in it, because I had the same mindset. What does it hurt if I'm in it? And what right, if it does right, turn out right. to be wrong? I'm still a follower of Jesus. I just believe in this prophet guy. But once you get on the other side of this and you start to experience what it's like not to be under that authoritarian control oh my gosh, I, I'm sad that yeah. I was in it and I didn't have half of the trouble that you had.
1: Well, like you said, I mean, we're, we lived all those years under bondage without even realizing it. You know, it was just like, it was bondage. And I think one of the things that helped me um, actually kind of have a little bit of maybe some non-message <laughs> indoctrination is that, okay, so I wasn't allowed to work outside the home because I'm a woman, and I didn't have a kid because I couldn't get pregnant, and we didn't have a TV or anything, so you're home all day long, by yourself, you know, in the house. So I read so many books, and a lot of them would not be message approved, believe me. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that help i think that kept part of me alive that might not have oh and also another thing so of course we didn't we didn't have tv but we had a radio and nobody said that was wrong and um of course i couldn't listen to the rock and roll that i loved when i was in high school like i do listen to it now but um nobody said npr was sinful (laughs) <laughs> I didn't think it was sinful. So here I am. I can't even watch TV because I'm in this ultra conservative cult, but I'm listening to NPR all day. Wow. And I have no idea. I mean, I knew it was a liberal radio station, Which if anybody doesn't know NPR, it's national public radio and it is a very liberal radio station. And I think it's one of the best. I don't agree with all of their like um, ideology, but I think it's a great radio station. And I listened to that. When I wasn't listening to Christian music, I also listened to a lot of classical music. Or William Branham, I was listening to NPR. (laughs) (laughs) So NPR and classical music were two things that I learned to love while I was in the cult. And I still love classical music. I don't listen to NPR very much, but I love it. And um, so those are two things that I really started to love all I was in the cult because those are two things I found that nobody said were sinful. Yeah. So it's kind of, I just think it's kind of comical that I was sitting there, you know, I'm cooking, I'm sleeping, <laughs> I got NPR on, I was like, yeah, you know, learning about the world. And I think NPR and the books I was reading, I think they kept a little part of me alive
2: yeah. that might have
1: died or might have, maybe it would have been a, maybe it was like a candle flicker, that maybe would have gone down and maybe just a tiny spark. But, you know, but it, I think those two things really did keep something alive in me that they were trying to snuff out my mind, my intellectual curiosity, wow. everything like that, all those parts of me that they don't value. They don't value those things one bit. And one thing I really despise about this cult is they glorify ignorance. They love it. Yeah. You know, William Branham act like he was this uneducated hillbilly and all this stuff. And so it seems like, and I'm not saying everybody and like, I haven't lived all over the country like you have. So I've only, I haven't been exposed to a lot of different message churches, but the people that I've interacted with, like even on your channel and not everybody and the people I've interacted with in person, a lot of them really seem to value ignorance and take pride in not knowing, Just basic things. And that, to me, is despicable. And the same people are homeschooling their children because they don't want them to be part of the world. Well, I mean, I've heard people say that all kids need to do is learn how to do mathematics, learn how to be able to read Bible and Brother Branham's books. And that makes me sick. That's a crime. Yeah. It is a crime.
0: Yeah, it is a crime. I mean, I know what you're talking about. There's this... I don't know. It's like a programmed way of thinking where if you can take something that defies all logic and believe it anyway, you're holier than the people who can't make that leap. And for a like, person like me who has an analytical mind, I just I, I can't go there, man. It's not. It, it doesn't make any sense. Well, it's never going to make any sense, right? <clears throat> so I'm really glad you did this with us today. And you okay, know, the, your too. story is fascinating. Um, every every new person I meet, I meet a new friend, and it's it's just so wonderful to have people that are open and honest and. What you see is what you get, right?
2: Right, right.
0: if If there was one thing that you could say to a person, to your former self who was in this thing, if there was one person, one thing that you could say to help them, what would you say?
1: I think I would say God did not create me and he did not have a plan for me. That involved being spiritually and almost every other kind of way abused for a very large percentage of my life. You know, I had myself convinced, and the reason I really believed that the way I was living was God's plan for my life, even though it involved a lot of abuse and a lot of terrible things. And the way I just, the way, the thing I came up with in my mind is that God told the Old Testament prophets, and I never, thought I was a prophet. But God told the Old Testament prophets to do things, and the results of those things is they suffered greatly, like Jeremiah mm-hmm. and like Ezekiel. And so I thought, you know, God does ask us to do things that result in a lot of suffering. So I thought, I guess that means that God is asking me to live this way. Um And... Whether I suffer, whether I'm happy, whether I'm miserable, whether I'm being abused or anything else, that is God's plan for me. And that was so wrong. That is just, I hope nobody, nobody is believing something so wrong like I believed. Because there's nothing, there's nothing truth. There's no truth in that the feeling was like, that's, I felt so trapped, you know, there didn't seem to be any way out. And, um, but then when I had my daughter, it took me a long time. I wish it would have taken me a lot less time. It took me a while, but I got her and myself out of both traps, the marriage and the cult. And so there was a way out. I just wouldn't, Go towards it because I was too, I was so scared of God. Mm. I was terrified of God when I was in the message. And that's another thing I would like to tell my old self and anybody else. I was scared to death of God. He was very punitive. He's, he's, he's presented in the message as a very punitive being. I mean, I mean, one time I messed up, I said something I shouldn't have said and I, I fixed myself a sandwich for lunch. I was terrified to eat it. Because I thought Bob was going to punish me by making me choke on the sandwich and die. I was there by myself. So I thought, well, if I choke, nobody's going to be able to give me the Heimlich maneuver. Yeah. And um, I was really scared to eat. I mean, that's the way I saw God then. Yeah. And then I saw him, not because I just came up with that myself. I saw that. I saw him that way because that's the way they present him. They don't present him like as a God of love. They present him as a God who's going to. You know, and two things, two things that I have hated from the first time I heard them, the entire time I was in the message, two things I hated was the word dog meat and the word cannon fodder. And I don't believe God created anybody with the purpose of them being dog meat or cannon fodder. That bothered me so much, even when I was totally immersed and 200% you know, in the message, it still really bothered me because I thought that's just wrong. That's just wrong. You yeah. know, who would God create people just to have them be cannon fodder? Why? Why would you know? And this thing about beating daughters with a barrel slat until they can't get out of bed for six months, or till they have so many bolts on they can't get their clothes back on, just because the daughters aren't living the way he said you have to live? It's okay to practically kill them? No, it's not. And it just makes me sick. You know, and there have been African-American people that have been in white supremacy cults. I read memoirs by people that have done that. And it I could I never get it. I'm like, why? Why would anybody do that? So I had to read their memoirs, of course. But then one day I realized I'm a woman. And I bet there are a lot more women in the message than men. I don't know a lot. A lot there are. Just like most churches have more women than men. Um, And I was in a male supremacy cult. Right. I spent eight years in a male supremacy cult, and I'm a woman. So why should it surprise me if a black person is in a white supremacy cult? It shouldn't. I did it. I did it, too.
0: You know, people who are never in this sort of thing, they kind of dismiss it. They say... Well, why didn't you just leave? You're in it. Why didn't you just leave if you didn't like it? It's really difficult to understand the level of control that they have over your head. And even more difficult is to realize the abuse because even for myself, it took me a long time to realize that there's also emotional abuse to consider. I know many families who say, I was never abused. I was never in an abusive home. But if you're in one of, if you're in a family who came from this type of religion and you're hearing this emotional abuse on these recordings over and over and over and from behind the pulpit from the ministers over and over it's emotional abuse well then you begin to mimic it when you get in the house well now the children are often emotionally abused
1: i want to say that i have the utmost admiration for every person who has left this cult leaving the cult was the hardest thing i've ever done But I do want to say that anybody, it wasn't hard for me compared to people like you, because I have zero connection to this message. I don't have any friends in it, and I never had any family in it. My ex joined it after he started dating me. I introduced him to it. And um, so I just want to say how much I admire the strength and the courage of everyone who leaves it, but especially People who end up leaving losing family members, their families get ripped apart because of this terrible thing. I mean, it was so hard for me to leave. I almost felt like I was gonna go crazy. And yet I had one hundred percent for my family. Oh, she's finally leaving that cult she's been in for the last twenty eight years. And my family was so happy. I cannot even imagine being married to somebody who wants to stay in the cult, having kids that are staying in the cult and they don't even want to talk to you because you're leaving or parents, I can't even imagine the torture of that. And when I think how hard it was for me, I just, I I just admire the courage and the strength of everybody who leaves that has family ties to the cult, because that must be, that that has to be like a thousand times worse than what I went through when I left. So I just want to say that I really admire people that do that. It takes so much strength and courage.
0: It is the single most difficult thing that most of us have ever gone through or will go through in our lives.
1: (laughs) The divorce was so easy compared to leaving the cult.
0: If you've enjoyed our show and you want more information, you can check us out on the web. You can find us at william-branham.org. For an overview of the historical research of William Branham and the Healing Revivals, read Preacher Behind the White Hoods, a critical examination of William Branham and his message. Available on Amazon, Kindle, and Audible.